Andrew. Hey, Courtney. How do you know if you're being haunted by an LGBT ghost? I don't know. How do you know? If during a seance, you don't get a straight answer. Boom, ching. (laughs) (laughs) It's spoop hour. Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast ordinarily hosted by two Halloweenies, currently hosted by one Halloweenie and one special ghost. This week's special ghost is the incredible Andrew from the amazing Friday the 13th podcast. It is a great podcast. If you aren't listening to it, you are incorrect. They're amazing. Do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be part of a podcast that I normally listen to. So, uh, yes, my name is Andrew and I'm one half of the Friday the 13th horror podcast we are a podcast that talks all about horror in real life and horror in the movies so something that courtney would never want to hear about (laughs) it's true i've listened to several episodes and each time i'm like yeah that's a movie i'm not gonna watch no thank you i don't care for that (laughs) we're not for everybody for sure If you're a big old Halloween, but if you, unlike me, are not afraid of everything, you would love Friday the 13th because they are top notch. Well, thank and you so remarkably, much. remarkably, you actually volunteered to come on, which is amazing because I was like, I won't bother Andrew. Yes, I, I'm a, 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 I write in often, but it's my first visit. <laughs> so. It's true. You are the only person who knew who the Michigan dog man was. Well, so you earned a special place in my heart that day. That was funny. The funniest thing is that... I discovered you guys from Believer Skeptic because you guys were oh, on yeah. there. And then I was like, oh, I really like their banter. I like their energy. So I'm going to go, you know, see what they're all about. And the first episode I listened to was the Dogman episode. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is uh, this is kismet because I grew up with this <laughs> urban legend. So <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, I'm like, did I make this Dogman up? Is this, <laughs> did I fall into a weird corner of the Internet where they're like, let's see what we can get idiots to believe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about that whole thing is that it was kind of an elaborate prank that then started to like get roots like people because they they you know the song they played the song on our local mm-hmm. country music channel around halloween every year and amazing um then but when they started playing it they started getting people calling in and saying like yeah i've seen this thing like this is a real thing and the guy's like no it's i made it up it's a song like Ugh, you, you guys don't man. know what you're talking about but still to this day the dog man is local michigan you know haunting i love it it's like when they made the fake conspiracy theory to prove how fast conspiracy theories can spread right about avril levine being a doppelganger of avril levine and not actually being herself wait that's and not that true just took off <laughs> I'm so sorry. That one is true. I'm just, I'm being silly. (laughs) Anyway, you can find Spoop Hour on the internet at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also send us your stories. Like if you know who the Michigan dog man is, or if you ever hear us say something and you're like, I know that thing, or I've seen a scary ghost, you can email spoophour at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. You also sent in a great story about a haunted house you went to where you frightened a child. (laughs) Yes. As a child, I frightened a child, but yes. (laughs) The uh, haunted theater on Mackinac Island gives me still to this day, just because the man I told in the story, obviously listeners have already heard the story, but mm-hmm. he got right in my ear and did the <laughs> noise. Ugh. And still to this day, I don't know who that was because I didn't turn around. <laughs> like it, I just ran. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so as far as you know, that person was not affiliated exactly. with the house. There was just some rando who was like, I bet I could scare this child. <laughs> Let's just say I've never heard anyone else tell that story. So <laughs> I don't so know. So it was definitely yeah. just some rando. Anyway. Creepy. So 
<laughs> I love that, actually. <laughs> Sasha did that to me once. We were doing face masks, like the kind that you open up and it's supposed to give you like a cute tiger face and then you put it on and it's like, oh my God, I'm a murderer. Yeah. So she, she made the... <laughs> sound in my ear while we were wearing those and it was upsetting. Oh god. So, it was a good time. <laughs> so, before we start, did anything spooky happen to you either this week or in your life in general since this is your first time ghosting on Spoop Hour? Well, besides the pandemic, you know, that that whole thing, but no. <laughs> oh, that's been spooky for you, weird. <laughs> we had a a huge storm. I'm not sure how much of it got to you guys last week, but um, we had a huge storm um, about a week and a mm-hmm. half ago, and since then everything has just been icicles and and snow and just like everything. But throughout this week, everything has started to melt. And because we live, you know, in the city where there's like lots of buildings and everything, every once in a while, we'll hear like the loudest crash, like just out of nowhere. And we're like, what the hell was that? It turns out it's all these death sickles falling (laughs) from all of the houses and buildings. And they're just so big this year that they make the most awful sound. And so that that has definitely been spooky for me this week. What about you? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's amazing. That's for sure. That's going to be that. That's the perfect murder thing where like you get stabbed with an icicle (laughs) and then the murder weapon melts. (laughs) For me, I mean, spooky is that this is the first spoop hour snack I've had during recording in a while. I made myself Mexican hot chocolate. Ooh, delicious. So I've been sipping on that. The spookiest thing that's been happening to me, I know I mentioned before that Benedict, the dumb cat that I live with, he's very handsome, but he's real stupid. (laughs) He's figured out how to open closet doors. He's now gotten so good at that, that like, I won't even be aware that he has been in a room and then all the closet doors will be open. Which is upsetting. <laughs> now he's just and doing he's, it for sport. Like, <laughs> Yeah, now he's just like, <laughs> and just opening doors like a dick. And then he's also taken to, he's like, I can apply this logic to other doors. So the other day, I was in the bathroom. I think I was getting ready to get in the shower. I had the door closed. And I just hear this, dunk. Because Benedict, being a genius, like, hurled himself bodily at the bathroom <laughs> door to try and open it. So it's a very surprising thing when you are naked and getting ready to shower to hear a very loud thunk near where you are naked <laughs> so th- that's that's pretty much the only thing that happened to me recently you know those t- uh, thankfully we just have a dog so he doesn't <laughs> she oh, doesn't know how to do you anything hear, <laughs> you you hear her coming yeah <laughs> yeah we think benedict was raised by dogs but he still d- sometimes does creepy cat shit and you know what can you do yeah. <laughs> So, when we have an esteemed ghost like Andrew come on, what else could we be talking about? We're doing another episode on LGBT gay ghosts. Yay! Yay! We love it. It's fun. We're happy about it. We want more gay ghosts. At least I want more gay ghost representation. I will not speak for you. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. We had on the show probably about a year and a half back, we had a a duo come on called Queerly Departed. And what Mm -hmm. they do is they go around to old cemeteries and try to find these stories of like gay dead people essentially and you know listening to them they had so many cool stories about these people that the way that they knew that they you know were lgbtq is that they would either have like letters back and forth to each other or because there's no way to be like oh looking looking at this picture this must be a gay person you know what i mean so there's oh well you can see from the way their rib has been exactly that's you know so it's a it's really really interesting to find out like the history of you know gay people before there really was a history of gay people if that makes any sense but no it it does yeah because it's it's kind of you know it's gotten swept under the rug over the years like you have so many people i mean granted they're all bigots but a lot of people nowadays who are like oh well they didn't have gay people back in the day they they (laughs) did it was just you know if anyone was aware of it they'd get killed yeah they just had to hide it better (laughs) yeah they maybe really kept a tight heavy lid on it so that nobody would know so it's good to kind of find that new history. And, like, I'm going to be talking about two, well, technically three ghosts, one of whom is a set of ghosts, that I had never heard of these people. So, let alone in the context of these are people who were not heterosexual. So, like, kind of 
again, finding out that like aspect of history that we didn't necessarily know. But first, do you want some fun context? I say fun because it made me laugh. It's terrible. (laughs) Sure. I love (laughs) terrible. this (laughs) This is courtesy of The Advocate. Previous ghost slash in real life friend Mike sent me this ages ago, and then I forgot to bring it up on Spoop Hour until just now. But in October 2020, so like four months ago, October 2020, the Spiritual Science Research Foundation (sighs) published a heavy air quotes research study. (laughs) I almost brought this today. (laughs) It's so good. That claimed that the vast majority of gay people, specifically 85% of gay people are actually possessed by some form of ghost and that these spirits cause the symptoms of being gay. In their results, the, again, heavy air quotes, researchers wrote, the main reason behind the gay orientation of some men is that they are possessed by female ghosts and the female ghost in them is attracted to other men. The study goes further to say that lesbians are possessed by male ghosts, thus their attraction to women, because turns out being gay is just secret heteronormativity. <laughs> it's just it's just straight possession. <laughs> it's just it's just being straight in a like spooky way. Yeah. So you know they, I, you know I feel more empowered knowing that I have a woman inside of me now. You, you know, should <laughs> like speaking as a straight woman who's been disappointed in men for three decades. I wish I had a ghost inside me making better choices, right. but I don't. And the study, like, that wasn't enough for the study. They were like, let's keep running our mouths about things we clearly understand. They said that people in the LGBTQ community are more prone to swearing, which, as a straight woman with a potty mouth, is hilarious to me, (laughs) exhibitionist behavior like parading around in the nude, and the kicker, having murderous thoughts because the ghosts that drive them made them, quote, more susceptible to being influenced by negative energies, which give them thoughts to encourage them to display their homosexuality in a shameless and even aggressive manner. The study then tells you the signs to look out for that indicate you're being possessed by a ghost that's going to make you gay, which are low energy levels, bouts of depression, financial loss, and impulsive behavior. So basically... For the past 12 months, we've all been possessed by gay ghosts. Perfect, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, the most common symptoms of man are now making mm-hmm. us possessed by gay ghosts. Especially, like, in quarantine, whom among us isn't <laughs> low energy and prone to bounce of depression and impulsive behavior and financial loss? Yep. Like, yep. come on. You we've know, all been in quarantine for 12 months. Bought that Nintendo <laughs> Switch. I bet, I bet you that was a decision made by the, by the ghost. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just bought a hula hoop, <laughs> that's, ostensibly that's to exercise different. with. But like, I'm like, I bought a hula hoop. That for sure was a ghost. Does it have that financial choice? Is it one of the ones that has the little spinny thing in it, or no? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember these? Yeah, where it makes, yeah, where it makes like the sound, yeah. where, like clack, clack, clack. I don't think it is because it's from a very professional group that is not sponsoring today's episode called the Spinsters on Etsy. Oh, but like it's made with a thick. I don't remember what they said. Some sort of thick material, which is what gives it its weight. Huh. So, because I don't like exercising unless it's kind of fun and I can think about how it's not exercising. And I can't do color guard outside anymore because our downstairs neighbor is the worst and doesn't wear a mask and just pops up unexpectedly. So I'm afraid to go outside. But (laughs) getting a hula hoop, thanks to the ghost that taught me to buy this this hula hoop yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be pretty it's gonna have like holographic tape and shit Fun. it's gonna be good yeah i think yeah. what has been getting me through on the exercises as you can see in my background that your your listeners can't is <laughs> is the purchase of the peloton we finally yeah. bit down and finally did it because we were like well i don't know what next time we're gonna be going to the gym so yeah <laughs> And I did my, I did the math and I was like, well, if we don't go to the gym for like a year and a half, that pays for it. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like my gym opened back up like two months after the initial quarantine. And then they sent me an email when I like canceled my membership. They're like, why are you canceling? And I'm like, because I don't want to go to a gym. There's a pandemic. Yeah. Have you guys heard? Yeah, <laughs> we, ju- we just had a in Chicago. They've been really stringent. The whole state of Illinois has been really, really heavily controlled by, you know, our government and everything, which is good because we actually didn't get overwhelmed or anything. So they did their job correctly. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Florida, but... um, (laughs) 
<laughs> no offense uh, to your Floridian listeners, but uh, I hear it's a war zone down our there. Our Floridian <laughs> listeners are cool. They know what they, they know what they live in. Um, but yeah, we just had an outbreak that was traced back to a gym. So eh. just it just just give yourself a break, people. You don't need to work out right now. Even when there's not a pandemic, like going to the gym is kind of gross. And I was always one of those people who would like wipe down the equipment before I used it. Cause I'm like, I have seen far too many like gym dude bros who are like, my sweaty back is a gift. So I'll just like walk away without wiping down the machine yeah. I just used because you're welcome for sitting in a puddle of my sweat. So like yeah, I... the thought of <laughs> trusting those dudes to like be responsible about COVID. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. All these like places that are now like, we're really like, we're really cleaning now like for real like, so, like, <laughs> it's like what was what were you doing because i was going what was so going like, on before here um excuse me i, I want to ask like a question I, I don't want to think about it but like ugh, horrifying yes. so truly all of us are low energy and being controlled by the ghost within us and if the ghost within you tells you to take a nap instead of doing like crunches maybe just take a nap yeah i agree yeah we're living through weird shit do what you got to do. In my case, it's going to be hula. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> think I as an adult, it. I could I could move like that anymore. So I, yeah. I wish you luck. <laughs> Thank you. I was mostly inspired because I have terrible posture. Mm-hmm. And I was like reading like back strengthening exercises. And somehow I ended up on this article about how like hula hooping saved my posture and like was a workout and was actually kind of fun too. I was like, well, I was never good at hula hooping as a kid. But maybe if I like practice... Yeah, maybe. I can get better. So stay, watch this space for three weeks from now when I'm like, this was a mistake. My ghost was wrong. <laughs> I shouldn't have bought the hula. <sighs> anyway. All right. Well, I will go first. Love it. My my story comes from newnownext.com, just to tag our where it comes from. But it is all about famous people that are now ghosts that just happen to Yay! be that just happen to be gay so the first one um, i want to talk about is harvey milk you're familiar yes so harvey milk the out and proud civil rights pioneer who became the first openly gay elected official in california is a legend in san francisco but it turns out some folks in the castro district where milk lived and served as a city supervisor believe his spirit still inhabits those streets uh, nick romero owner of the owner of given a storefront in what milk in what was milk's old camera shop claims he's felt milk's presence in the building and that and this is the weird one that really like kind of had my hair standing up a little bit but and while gus van sant the director of the 2008 milk biopic was filming at the location an unknown man who looked exactly like milk reportedly walked on set and sat down on a couch actors were so excited about the man and couldn't wait for van sant to see him but the milk lookalike purportedly vanished before the director even registered his presence that's amazing is that creepy (laughs) like it's definitely creepy but i'm like that's so cool to like come back as a ghost and be like oh they're making a movie about me don't mind if i sit in i'm I'm gonna make sure you're doing me justice here so i'll just take a seat over here on this couch don't mind me pretend i'm not here just do what you were gonna do anyway (laughs) i'm also i'm glad that he's not haunting the place he was killed yeah because like that's a really sad he had a really tragic end to his life to be killed by someone who was disgruntled about being fired, like just heartbreaking. Yeah. So I'm glad that he gets to do like fun shit, like watching people film the story of his life. Yeah, it's, it's sweet. Yeah, that's nice. I'm happy for him. All right. Are you ready for Clifton Webb? Yes. All right. This story, there's a lot to unpack here. Okay. Okay. So. This comes courtesy of ElaineHunter.com, Blogs.Britannica.com, WeirdCA.com, DoYouRemember.com, IMDB.com, and Wikipedia. We haven't said it in a little while. Give Wikipedia some money. Absolutely. They just asked for, they just asked for like $3. Who among us? Does, the ghost inside you wants to give, you, <laughs> wants to give Wikipedia $3. So go ahead and go over there and do that. All right. So if you were living in the golden age of Hollywood and you needed a dapper butler type, there was only one name you needed to know. Clifton Webb. Born Webb Parmalee Hollenbeck, so unsurprising that he went by Clifton instead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
He was best known for originating the role of Mr. Belvedere, a gentleman slash nanny slash prickly genius who eventually got his own 80s sitcom. Of course, by that point, he was dead, so he he did not play that Mr. Belvedere, but originated the role. Wow, I am familiar. Yeah, so he played the role three times, even earning an Oscar nomination for it. So he was a pretty big deal. At one point, he was so big in Hollywood that Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer had him on a salary of $3,000 a week in 1935. Holy crap. It was the height of the Great Depression, and they were paying him 3,000 depression bucks a week. If I could be paid $3,000 a week, I would be in heaven. (laughs) I know. I'd work for like six months and then just like not work for six months. Oh my God, that's so much money. And like even in today's dollars, $3,000 a week is a lot. In 1935, when like candy was a nickel, oh my God, you could have like a swimming pool full of candy like Scrooge McDuck, but with with candy instead of gold coins. It's like he went from Mr. Belvedere to Brewster's Millions. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like, and you're going to hear about his life. He didn't spend a lot of that money. Like, he, we'll get into it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to check off his gun, his $3,000 a week, and I'm going to bring it back at the end of the story and remind you that's how much money he was making because he made some weird choices. Okay. So, beyond Belvedere, Clifton was a song and dance band with numerous Broadway achievements, including introducing Irving Berlin's classic song, Easter Parade. He was the first person to perform it on Broadway. <laughs> He, he was always meticulously dressed to the nines, which earned him a spot on Hollywood's best dressed list for decades. Hmm. He was even, allegedly, the inspiration for the character of Mr. Peabody on Rocky and Bullwinkle. So even if you are not acquainted with Mr. Belvedere, you know Mr. Peabody. That's this guy. Huh. That's interesting. So, Clifton was also, like, deeply private about his personal life, but despite his best efforts to stay out of the spotlight it was an open secret in hollywood that he was gay kind of everybody knew even if he wasn't like you know showing up to parties with like a dude on his arm being like this guy and i are dating (laughs) shut up (laughs) he managed to keep his sexuality out of the tabloids which is incredible considering you know he's being paid three thousand dollars a week i'm sure the tabloids would have loved something about it But rumors flew about his romantic exploits off the pages. He was even once rumored to be romantically involved with none other than James Dean. Oh, Get it, Clifton Webb. He's not not the only one that I I can't remember who else they've said, but he's kind of known to be having, you know, previous male partners or male dates. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I I don't like to speculate on anyone's sexuality. So, you know, if that was something that they wanted to keep private, then they should be able to keep private. Yeah, for sure. But also, side note, get it, Clifton. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yes, James Dean. Like, slam dunk, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going for one, that's the one. (laughs) Yeah, like, if if you're like, I'm going to date, like, one actor, like, you could do a lot worse than James Dean. So at parties, Clifton was known to flirt with young, good-looking men, probably like James Dean, with some saying he took pride in stealing the attention away from any young ladies present. Uh, What a a man. (laughs) He's just like, don't mind me, I'm the belle of the ball. (laughs) While it was the 40s and 50s, and thus a terrible time to be anything other than a heterosexual, cisgender, prosperous white man, I kind of was on a tear in my notes, Clifton had more reason to stay in the closet than just that. He was unusually close with his mother. Maybelle Parmalee was proud of her son's interest in the theater from a young age, moving her little web to New York City after their life in Indiana, courtesy of his railroad ticket-taking father, did not match her ambitions for him. (laughs) By age five, Clifton had been enrolled in acting, singing, and dancing lessons by his mother. By age five. Wow. She pushed him to auditions where he secured roles like Oliver Twist and Tom Sawyer, and even as he entered adulthood, she was critically involved in his career. Frequently, when Clifton performed on Broadway, Maybelle would appear in the same show as an extra, but Clifton was cool with his helicopter stage mom. He loved her, he doted on her, and he lived with her for his entire life. Oh, gosh. When she passed away at 91 in 1960, Clifton was devastated. And like, you know, it's always hard to lose a parent. She was 91. She had a good long and, life. And in 1960, 91. Like, yeah, like that's like you made today's it through, you years, made it 147. <laughs> yeah, she she's for sure been smoking the whole time, probably drinking. And to live to 91, like, go off, girl. Yeah, Spanish flu, uh, great, oh, de- yeah. great Depression, all that yeah. stuff. Just 
just bounced off of her turn of the century (laughs) probably cholera at some point she's like it's fine yeah no worries but after a year of his obsessive grieving for one full year clifton was still just heartbroken about his mom his friend playwright noel coward joked with him that quote it must be difficult to be orphaned at 70 which you know grieving takes time but like i could see how if if it's to the point where your friends are like don't you think that maybe you should kind of like move on start getting back out there, <laughs> you know, because she was 91. And like, it's unclear if his mother would have supported him had she known he was gay. So it was kind of like, a, I don't know if she would have been comfortable with that. And it's also possible that he didn't know if she would be comfortable with that. So he's like, I'm just not going to risk it. I'm super close to my mom. It's important to me that we preserve this like super doting close relationship I'll just like this will just be separate. Yeah, and I'll yeah. just do that outside the house. Uh, that's that's but really like, that's really sad though that he couldn't uh, yeah. share his whole self with his the one person that he was so close to. And maybe he right. maybe he did. Who knows? But yeah, um, it, it it's hard to say because like I couldn't find any accounts, but like he was really private. So obviously, who knows if he brought people home? Yeah, but like he did live with his mother. So like. If he were going to be romantically involved or in a same-sex relationship, but if he wasn't out with his mom, he couldn't bring someone to his house. That's so sad to, like, not only have to be, like, hiding this huge secret from your mom, if that's what he was doing, but also, like, you can't have your partner in your home because it's not safe. Yeah, I mean, that's, I I think it's gotten way better these days with the new generation that literally is just, like, we don't care. Everything's yeah. fluid. Everything's great. And it's like, great, let's do it. But, you know, even in, you know, when I came out around, God, 2000, even like mid 2000s, it was still mm-hmm. like, oh, gosh, is this going to be the thing that like wedges a, a thing between my family or so just think about that, but multiply yeah. it by 70 years. It was, so, so. Yeah, it was 1930s. Like right. everything was so much worse then. Yeah. And like. Even my high school put on the Laramie Project in 2005, and we had parents writing to the school about how that was an inappropriate play for them to be doing. Of course. In 2005. It just does go to show you how much things have changed in just our lifetimes. I think we're probably around the same age. Yeah. It's just insane and how much... How much more, gosh, I I even want to put it as privilege. You know, we have uh, to be able to be out and proud and be able to live our lives. And I mean, one anecdote I'll share with you is I never thought I would be able to get married. There's no way. Yeah. When I was when I was growing up or even when I was getting ready to come out or even after I came out, it was I was reticent to just say that's not going to be for me because people can't get on board. And so to have that even happen is just incredible. So yeah, even a decade ago, you wouldn't have been able to right? like that's, that's how far we've come. And it's very lucky. And so like thinking about like, if Clifton Webb were alive today, maybe he would have a Twitter account and be like, James Dean spent the night, winky face, (laughs) hashtag don't kiss and tell. Eggplant, eggplant. (laughs) (laughs) Just texting James Dean, you up? Yeah. Like, who knows? If, and, like, the the second story I'm going to talk about, we're definitely going to get more into this kind of idea. Because, like, even Clifton Webb was – he wasn't out, but, like, he could kind of be himself. And probably a lot of that was because he was making $3,000 yeah. a week. So, like, who's going to say anything about it? He's going to be like, here's $1,000. Yeah, how about exactly. you shut up? <laughs> the almighty like, dollar. Of, uh, yeah. The almighty dollar still speaks even in 1930. So. <laughs> Especially in the 1930s when everybody was like, I would like a nickel, please. And he's like, here's a hundred bucks. Just shut your mouth. Go buy buy a house now. (laughs) (laughs) Go buy four houses. You're rich now. Congratulations. So after the death of his mother, Clifton was never the same. He made only one film after her death. And then he became a recluse in the home he had shared with her. A home he allegedly believed his mother now haunted. So that kind of contributed to him becoming this kind of shut in is because he's like, I know my mom's still here, so I'm going to stick around until she comes out. Yeah. He fell into ill health and some odd coping mechanisms, including locking her room, refusing to remove or even touch her belongings so that it would stay as it was when she was alive. 
he also would contact clairvoyants, mediums, and psychics to get in touch with his mother. And fun fact, one of the mediums he contacted was Bombshell Mae West, who allegedly had the gift of the sight. Huh. Wow, that's interesting. Right? And basically, he dedicated himself to finding his mom's ghost. So he has all of this money, and he's like, don't care. I'm going to find my mom's ghost. Wow. The search only stopped on October 13th, 1966. So about six years after his mom died, when Clifton died of a heart attack at home. Oh, he died a broken heart. Yeah, he just missed his mom. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Now let's get to the fun ghost stuff. We're done being sad. We're going to be happy now because it's fun. (laughs) You can find Clifton's ghost in three places. And, like, I know we've talked on Spoop Hour before about how, like, how alive someone must be to have the wherewithal to haunt multiple places. So Clifton clearly has either he has a bunch of ghost bucks or he's just like, I'm haunting all the places. Let's go. <laughs> he has those so, those ghost dollars working for him, you know? Yeah, he, he's, he's actually hired out like he's he's. He's delegated some of his hauntings. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, I will pay you 20 bucks an hour. You haunt over here. I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. You get 25 bucks an hour because you have more experience than the other two. Let's go. Go walk through a hallway so, for me. Come on. <laughs> you just got to flick the lights yeah. like once yeah. every 25 or so minutes. Just <laughs> thank you. So first place you can spot him is the Abbey of Psalms Mausoleum in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, where he is interred alongside his mother. You can spot Clifton in one of his signature suits, pacing the corridor, or occasionally shouting at visitors. It's unclear why he (laughs) yells at them, but he yells at them, and that's fine. (laughs) You'll also feel cold drafts, smell cologne, see strange lights, or hear whispered voices throughout the hall. Hmm. You'll know when Clifton is out and about when the marble slab at the entrance to the mausoleum shifts back and forth. So it's like, if the marble's a rockin', you can come a-knockin', but Clifton's gonna yell at you. (laughs) He's pretty strong (laughs) ghost, Jeep. For a slab of marble to be moving. He's just been lifting that like $3,000 a week in the afterlife. So he's like super ripped now. He's jacked as a ghost. <laughs> yeah. He's used his quarantine to actually get into shape and not just Hulu. <laughs> Whoops. I missed the memo on that one. <laughs> it's okay. Clifton's doing our exercise for yes. us. It's fine. So Clifton also allegedly haunts an old chair gifted to him by his friend slash psychic Dr. Kenny Kingston. The throne-like chair is surrounded by velvet ropes in Kingston's home and has been known to move on its own during seances. It also rejects women. So if a woman tries to sit in the chair, the chair will, like, shove her out. Of course. (laughs) Of course it will. He's like, no, no, this is my chair. Get out. The the afterlife is for me now. So men only on this chair. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe if you were my mom, but she's in the afterlife with me. So you can get your own damn chair. (laughs) The most common place to see Clifton's ghost, though is his old home in Beverly Hills, which makes sense. He spent a lot of time there, particularly towards the end. So he believed his mother haunted this house. He is now allegedly haunting this house. So presumably, they both haunt it. So it's perhaps unsurprising, given that Clifton allegedly stated a few days before his death, quote, I'm not leaving this house, even at death. Oh, God. (laughs) Which is a ballsy thing to say when you're like, this might be the end for me, but to be like, fuck you, I'm in my house, we're doing it. <laughs> that that sounds like a that sounds like a sassy gay man, so maybe we maybe we figured it out. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's maybe he's a little more out than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> Reports indicate that Clifton's ghosts appear in the master bedroom, swaying before the window. There were cold spots outside of what was Clifton's mother's room, so it's unclear if it was Clifton waiting for his mom or if it was actually his mother being like, Why is this door locked? Yeah. <laughs> Let me in my room. During the tenancy of one couple, lights flickered, and at one point, a cold shadow attacked a maid, because remember, Clifton is maybe not thrilled about women in his personal spaces. You don't have to to also be a misogynistic ghost. I mean, you know, he could have been a misogynist and also a ghost. He contains multitudes. (laughs) He's a complicated character. (laughs) He's got a lot going on. He loved his mom. He maybe hated women, you know. (sighs) People are people. So... Their dogs would also no longer go near the hallway where there were cold spots without either barking or peeing on the floor. So the dogs were like, nope, no, thank you. Get out of here. I don't want any (laughs) of this. Yeah. On a hunch, the couple brought home a Clifton Webb movie. Know it because like they knew because they moved in in like the 70s. So they knew it was Clifton Webb's house because it hadn't been that long since he lived in it. So they brought home a Clifton Webb movie. And upon Clifton showing up on the screen, all three of their dogs started howling. Oh, God. So they were like. That's the guy. (laughs) 
The same couple held a seance with Clifton's former friends, and the medium was allegedly successful in channeling Clifton's spirit, revealing things about him that she couldn't have known. When his friends asked why he stayed, Clifton said, because I'm afraid I'll be forgotten. Oh. Which is, I'm bringing it back down again, because we were having fun, but now I'm sad again. Like, that's... That's such a human thing to be like, I'm hanging around because I just, I don't want you guys to forget me. It's a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> I know. It's like he hates women. He doesn't want to be forgotten. He loves his mom. Like, it's impossible to say if he was good or bad. <laughs> There's a lot going on. So the couple eventually divorced and sold the house in the 70s, so they weren't there very long. Subsequent owners saw the spirit of Clifton and his mother dancing in the front hall, which is nice. You know, they were reunited in the afterlife. Unfortunately, the original house was torn down and replaced with a newer estate. Fortunately, the new place sits at 1005 Rexford Drive in Beverly Hills. Eight beds, 12 baths, and 14,000 square feet in total could be yours for the low, low price of $19,995,000 because, according to Zillow, it is for sale. Oh my gosh. You know... Why would you need, why do you need more bathrooms than bedrooms? I never understand this. Do you really want to clean all those bathrooms? I mean, the man was being paid $3,000 a week. 100% he was not cleaning those bathrooms. But like, I guess if like, okay, so let's say it's you and a partner in the main bedroom, okay? And let's say you don't want to share a bathroom. So that's two two, two bathrooms right there. And then I guess... I guess your other guests that you're having all get their own dedicated bathroom, and some of them are bringing partners. Yeah, I guess. Hopefully not you everyone. Get their- hopefully not everyone has to go to the bathroom at the same time. I don't know what that flushing situation would be like. Oh gosh, yeah, that's a great. Po- I don't know what the plumbing's like. It didn't say when the house was built. Like even the new version, I don't know. It was sometime after the seventies. <laughs> I thought you were but- going to say that the, the Zillow didn't list the, the the problems with the plumbing, and I was like. <laughs> I mean, it didn't, but you can, like, if you're nosy like me and you like looking at other people's houses, you can see, like, pictures on Zillow of, like, the whole listing, and it takes you through every room. It's a beautiful house. Huh. It's just, it's fucking massive, because yeah. it's 14,000 square feet. Like, I look at Z- I, I think even... I look at Zillow once almost every day, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the best thing before we moved into this place, like, the best thing was we weren't we were like, we're not going to move yet. We're just going to look at places. So we would just like endlessly look at places and be like, look at this weird kitchen. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> look at that weird kitchen. I love it. Oh my God. This place has five bedrooms. It's amazing. Like it's just, it's just fun to look at other people's houses. Until you actually want to buy something. And then you're like, I don't know. Does that, does that corner look like it's going to get a leak or just like, <laughs> I don't know. Is 12 bathrooms enough? Right. I feel like we need more. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, if you join the Spoop Hour Patreon at the $19 million donor level, you will get a thank you note from me when I move into my new giant house. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Clifton Webb. Oh, it's very interesting. Man. Yeah, have complicated ghost. <laughs> yeah, it was a whole thing. All right, well, I'm going to talk to you about Liberace. Great. So, I'm glad he's a ghost. The ghost of famed flamboyant pianist Liberace is said to have haunted oh, I Carluccio's to I should have pro- looked at this before I tried to pronounce things. This is It's the spoop hour. Right? Just plow ahead with confidence. It's a downfall. It's, it's a downfall on our show too. <laughs> Basically, it's a restaurant, okay? I'm not going to try. This was the restaurant. All right, so it's a McDonald's. (laughs) This was the restaurant that once was Liberace's uh, restaurant. Oh, I didn't know he had a restaurant. It is actually located, where did it say it was located? Next to the now shuttered Liberace Museum in in Las Vegas. So in Las Vegas. The Carluccio family purchased the property after Liberace's tragic death from AIDS-related illnesses in 1980. Decade later, Liberace, who professed to have a somewhat spiritual connection to his musical abilities, has appeared as an apparition to wait staff at the restaurant. His ghost is said to have caused mysterious happenstances, including flushing toilets. There it is again, flushing toilets. <laughs> He's like, I wish there were 12 of these yeah. for me to flush. <laughs> Locking doors and whispering in people's ears. So th- <gasps> he was the one who whispered in your ear at the haunted yeah, house. It was Liberace and McNeil. <laughs> We've cracked the case. 
<laughs> so the biggest, the one big thing that happened on one memorable February 4th, Liberace's death day, to be perfectly honest, the spirit reportedly caused the power to abruptly fail. Staff, who incorrectly believed it was his birthday, huddled together and (gasps) sang the superstar happy birthday. Seconds after the final refrain, the lights on Carlucci's flickered back to life. Sadly, Carlucci's has been closed and relocated at this time. So who knows where Liberace is now, but I just thought that that was really spooky that they thought it was his birthday. So they like are like, happy birthday. And he's like, at least I'm getting attention. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, I'll take it. Like, he's very accepting. He was like, you know, I just wanted you to notice me. But like, I'll take the birthday song. Let's go. Common mistake. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Birthday, death day. I mean, for Shakespeare, they were the same day. You know, you can't complain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are you ready to get into the ladies of Langola? Yes, I'm very excited about this one. All right. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of thoughts. Let's go. So this comes courtesy of Wikipedia. Give them some money. Ladies of Langolin.wordpress.com, leaderlive.co.uk, and Britishmuseum.org. So in 1768, 29-year-old Eleanor Charlotte Butler met Sarah Ponsonby, who was 13. Eleanor and Sarah lived about 15 miles apart from one another on their respective family estates. Eleanor's family were the Earls of Ormond, whose seat was at Kilkenny Castle, because this all takes place in Kilkenny initially. While Sarah had been sent to live with her Kilkenny cousins while her parents were in Italy for her mother's health. <laughs> Side note, remember the days when they'd like send you to a nice place to live to cure your diseases? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, you seem stressed. How about you go live in Italy for a year? It's like, yeah, that'll help. Yeah, I wish I could do that right now. <laughs> right? I could, I could like lay in the sun and eat some pasta. That seems fine. Right. I'd feel better. <laughs> By the time Sarah was 17, she was spending every Sunday and all holidays with Eleanor's family, and the two were inseparable. Over the years, the two became closer and closer, dreaming of a rural retreat where they could live in peace. By 1778, they were ready to make their dreams a reality. Instead of the possibility of one of them being forced to marry and become separated from the other, the two fled their homes and families in Kilkenny. They eventually settled in Langolin, Wales, even sending for Sarah's old servant Mary to live with them, which she did until her death. The two became fixtures in Langolin and were something of a local landmark. They were visited by such famed guests as Lord Byron, the Duke of Wellington, Anna Seward, Percy Shelley, William Wordsworth, and a whole cavalcade of basically any artist who was going from Dublin to London would stop at their house huh. and be like, hey, what's up? That's, you know, a little artist retreat. Yeah. When their families cut them off financially, because, like, when they ran off, their families caught up to them initially and were like, you have to come back and we're going to make you marry somebody. They were like, absolutely not. We're not going back. You can't make us. So their families were like, fine, but you're cut off now. So they relied on the generosity of their friends to keep them afloat because, like, the the early years, they didn't have this, like, close-knit friend community. So they were just racking up debts. And then once they became kind of the fixture that they were – that's when people were like, yeah, I can loan you some money. It's no big deal. I'll cover you. I'll cover you. So it's kind of like the, um, the first influencers, if you will. <laughs> yes. That's a great way to put it. Eventually, what kept them afloat was Queen Charlotte took an interest in them and persuaded King George III to give them a pension. So remember this, because this is one of the things I have questions mm. about. They lived happily together for over 50 years. Wow. Mary, the servant, was the first to die in 1809. Eleanor passed in 1829 at the age of 90, with Sarah joining her two years later at age 76. Wow, these people are living long lives in this time period. (laughs) Right? Like, the secret all along was to be some sort of gay person. It's like, that's, you'll live forever. It's looking good (laughs) on my end. You know, I'll take it. (laughs) It's fine. I'll just come haunt you when I die. It's cool. So let's talk about Sarah and Eleanor's relationship before we get into their ghost stuff. Because there is not a historical consensus for what was going on with them. Generally, historians only agree on two things. One, the so-called ladies of Langolin were unconventional. And very, two, they were very, very, very close. But the nature of their relationship is unclear. Was it an example of old-timey queer love that was forced to hide as a friendship to avoid detection? Or were they genuinely just really, really good friends? Or was it kind of a mixture of the two? 
So, lending itself to the first theory that these were two women who loved women and loved each other in a sexual way and had basically a marriage and everything but name, they did run away together. Hmm, That's a pretty big point in that column. Eleanor also kept a very detailed diary and at one point reflected on meeting Sarah's brother by calling him the, quote, brother of the most perfect thing on earth, which is a bold thing to say about your friend if you aren't romantically interested in your friend. Yeah, like that's, yeah. That's a pretty, you know, that's... forward thing to say. When they first established themselves in Langolin, they lived almost entirely in solitude, getting all their comfort and company from each other for several years. Yeah. And as all of you who are quarantined with a romantic partner know, that's a lot to do it for several years before the internet when, like, you're living in a remote place and all you have is them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, takes, uh, that takes a lot of love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eleanor often referred to Sarah in her diary as my beloved or shortened to my bee, which has a very different meaning now, I'm but like, at the time it was a cute nickname. Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost like the uh, bay of, 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 yeah. of, of, forlorn, of forlorn. <laughs> exactly. She, she started my bay, basically. Their books, glassware, and other possessions carried both sets of their initials and both of their heraldic emblems. So I actually have a picture from the British Museum of chocolate cups, because chocolate is what they used to call hot chocolate. And what you will notice is it has both of their crests on it. So like right here... That's both of their families. Oh, that's emblems. And we'll post this picture on the Instagram. Yeah. But it's like, if you were just living with your friend, you would maybe not go so far as to get a teacup with your friend's emblem on it as well as yours. Yeah, you maybe, you maybe, wouldn't, have separate you maybe wouldn't monogram everything. <laughs> right. You'd just be like, I'll monogram my shit. You can monogram your shit. And we'll just live in this like cozy Pinterest. Mode. Yes. Towards the end of their lives, the ladies even started to dress alike, wearing black riding habits and men's top hats. They even had a series of pet dogs named Sappho, and that, that's pretty gay. Like, <laughs> Wait, they just had dog after dog and named it Sappho named, every they time? They named Sappho, <laughs> yes. As Wikipedia put it, they called it a series of dogs named Sappho, and I was like, I mean, I guess if you like the name, you're just going to keep using it. <laughs> so like Sappho's one through six, yeah, right. it's fine. So here's the twist, and here's where it gets even more unusual than it kind of already was for the time period. The standards of friendship in the 18th century, particularly friendship between women, were such that this kind of relationship between friends who were genuinely just friends, no romantic interests, wasn't uncommon. Like, the ladies themselves took great offense at a magazine description of their relationship that implied that they were sexually involved with each other. Oh. And they went so far as to consult a lawyer over the possibility of suing for libel. Huh. That, which is, that's a twist. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> and, and if you compare them to Anne Lister, who was their contemporary, who visited them on occasion, Anne had coded sections in her diary dedicated to being a lesbian and her relationships with women. So she would detail, like, I'm involved with this woman. like, And she would use a code because obviously, you know, it was the 1700s and everything was terrible. But, like, she was explaining, you know, this is the nature of my life. I am a woman who loves women in a sexual way. I'm not just friends with them. We're not gals being pals. We're gals who are attracted to each other. Yeah. Whatever. That goes back to kind of what I was talking about before, where that that's how you found, like, the queer peoples in these codes or in these, like, secret right. letters or, like, secret ways of talking to each other. Right. So here's where it gets weird. And this is why I'm glad that came up earlier. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about it more. So Anne learned of the ladies. And she was like, I absolutely want to meet them. Because this is what I want. Like, I want to live with my chosen partner. I want to live in peace and have everybody just kind of respect that we're together and it'll be fine. So she finally met them in 1822. So at this point, the ladies have been together for like 25 years. So good chunk of time. Anne tried to speak with them about how they could happily live together and how she wanted that with her current lover to try and be like, you get you get what I'm saying? Like, I have a lover that I wish I could live with. Hint, hint. Are you yeah. guys, like, are you guys, you know, er, 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 is that you or? But the ladies dodged the implication. They were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. <laughs> At one point, Anne asked, quote, if they were classical to establish that they were romantically linked. Sarah replied, no, thank God, from Latin and Greek, I am free. What? So, <laughs> yeah, it basically, like, you know, we know those Greeks. They weren't the straightest of people, yeah. and there were a lot of, like, same-sex relationships. So she's like, so are you guys 
you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> classical, you know, are you, you classical? And Sarah's like, no, thank God. <laughs> so even Anne was flummoxed by this. So Anne and her lover, a woman named Mariana, wrote to each other about the ladies of Langolin. Mariana asked Anne if she thought their, quote, regard has always been platonic, and if you ever believed pure friendship could be so exalted. Anne responded, I cannot help thinking that surely it was not platonic. I feel the infirmity of our nature and hesitate to pronounce such attachments uncemented by something more tender still than friendship. And unlike Anne's diary, which included the coded segments about her romantic exploits, Eleanor's extensive diary, like she had a very detailed diary where she would write down everything. It had no accounts coded or otherwise of any non-platonic interactions between her and Sarah. Huh. So who knows? There's a theory, Wikipedia called it a Bostonian marriage, which is like a non-sexual de facto marriage where it's like, we're basically married, but we're not like maybe kind of an asexuality yeah. relationship. They may have had a thriving romantic and sexual relationship, but been like deeply, deeply, deeply private about it. But the other thing that confuses me is like, okay, I get, you know, maybe they were just deeply private. It was the 1700s and maybe even when Anne is like, I'm gay. Are y'all gay? They're like, we can't take this risk because who knows? But if that were the case, and if you were living like deeply closeted life in the 1700s, would you have so many people come to your house to see you with your partner? Because like (laughs) I wouldn't. I'd be like, nope, nope, not home. Sorry, no. Mm -mm." But like the Queen of England knew who they were. Right, yeah. I wonder if this is kind of what we equate to now as like, you know how these like YouTube stars and Instagram people are like only (laughs) showing you like their perfect selves and like all that they, it could be like a classic case of that where they just don't want to be seen any other way than like them just being the perfect people that they are. You're giving us money to live here. We we're perfect. Like we're just, we're just very close friends who really appreciate your patronage. Come by, give us 20 bucks. It's great. (laughs) Oh, I can only imagine what their selfies would be like now oh my god yeah so (laughs) clifton webb would absolutely be like vague tweeting about the hot guys he hooked up with nowadays the ladies of langolin would be like hashtag spawn con on instagram being like i love this tea and so does sarah face like but like it's it's hard to say because like they genuinely may have just been friends and it may have just been that kind of like homosocial friendship that was more common at the time where like women would write to each other Like, to express, like, you're my friend in really intense and what we now consider to be romantic terms because that's just how it was at the time. Right. And it's not like they so had, they, it's not, you know, back in that those days, it's not like you had millions of people walking around. So if you found, like, right. a, the, your person that you get along with, maybe that's just lifelong friend. Who knows? Yeah. And it's like, this is a friendship that is so important to me that, like, the thought of being separated from this person by being forced to marry some random dude, right. I would rather cut off my be cut off by my family and like abandon everything I know because that is how crucial this friendship is to me and like part of it if we had Dr. Elisa Lucas of Best Forever's on here she would say you know part of it is because our society as a whole like western society highly emphasizes like romantic love mm-hmm. and like romantic relationships is like the pinnacle and you get married and that's it you've you've achieved what you're going to achieve gold star for you and we don't center friendship as much yeah. Maybe they just centered friendship. Yeah, that's like you know, could, it could be. I mean, I, I, I echo your your statement about like you know we are kind of told from very early on. You know, once you're once you get married, then your life really begins. You know, that, that type yeah. of thing. <laughs> it's like that happily ever after. Yeah, and that you should put always that person first, no matter what. Mm-hmm. When it probably should be more of a balance between all of the people in your lives and making sure that everyone's right. taken care of. And maybe they just thought that friendship was that pinnacle. Yeah, maybe they were like, "This is my soulmate." Like, they are my soulmate, not in a romantic sense, but this is the soul that matches mine, and I can spend three years essentially in seclusion with them and not want to kill them, which is a huge achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do it. Like, I don't know. It's confusing. Like, I I like to think, I don't know. I keep going back and forth. Yeah. Much like Ann Lister, I'm like, they have to have been, like, romantically involved, yeah, right. right? But, like, I don't know. <laughs> Genuinely don't oh, know. that's so funny. It's, so anyway, ghost stuff. Why we're Ooh. here? Like it's it's only vaguely spooky that like nobody knows what their deal yeah. was. Their home plus Nuid, which I did look up the pronunciation of and was very challenging because it's a Welsh name, which means there's like four D's yeah. in it, and you know who knows how you say it. So reportedly, their house is 
haunted by their spirits. When Spirit Quest UK spent the night there in 2010, the 23 members of the team all reported similar signs of haunting. In the night, they felt like unseen hands were touching hmm. them. So it could have just been like Sarah and Eleanor being like, "Yeah, what are you doing yeah. here? This is our yeah. house. So like, what's your deal? There were footsteps pacing in a locked and vacant room above where the team was in, and it was an area of the house where nobody was permitted. Huh. So it's not like a member of the team like wandered off and was like playing a joke on anybody. Yeah. There was nobody up there and it was locked and in a separate part of the house. Can, can you I, but I, they I, color me surprised that their house is still there, to be honest? <laughs> I know. Like, I guess, I don't know. It was a rural retreat. So I wonder if it's like been established as like a historical yeah. site now where it's like this is this because like they had beautiful gardens that they like dedicated themselves to. And we know they dedicated themselves to it because Eleanor wrote extensively about that in her diary. Huh. She didn't write what her deal was with Sarah, but she like was like, and today I watered this plant <laughs> and then I trimmed this plant's leaves and then I did this to this other plant. The orchids are looking lovely so, this year. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, do, by orchids, do you mean yeah, Sarah? Right. What's the deal? <laughs> What's the code? <laughs> give, give me the dish, please. They So the Spirit Quest UK also attempted a seance to contact the ladies themselves. And while Sarah gently rocked the table to acknowledge their request, Eleanor hammered the table back and forth before it spun around very quickly on one leg. Oh, so no. Eleanor maybe wasn't thrilled about people in her business. It w- also, this house was featured on a 2008 episode of the show Most Haunted. Hmm. So, so yeah. Are they haunting their place? Were they a lesbian couple? We just don't know. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah. Huh. I, just, I wonder. That's an interesting one because it's one of those things that, you know, we don't have all the stuff that we can look back on that, you know, like our lives, right. you know, pictures and all this stuff. And it's hard to right. make the it's hard to make the decision. I'm not sure. Yeah. One scholar who studied them was like, you can't describe them as lesbians. The best way to describe them as just being in a queer relationship. Hmm. Like that's as specific as you can get because they weren't performing in any kind of heteronormative way. They weren't like, it wasn't like they were together because they were like, oh, you know, I'm only going to marry if I find my dream man. It wasn't anything like that. It was, this was who they wanted to be with and that's who they were going to spend their life with. So it's just, like we said, was it, this is my best friend and I want to spend my life with her forever? Or was it, this is the love of my life, but, you know, we don't feel safe being out with anybody. So like, we we will go so far as to not even mention it in our diaries. Yeah. You know, huh. I don't know. Or maybe they just were infatuated with each other. You know, it doesn't. Maybe. It, not all people function on sex alone. You know, it could be right. just a spiritual connection that they didn't need yeah. that sexual side of the relationship to thrive. Huh. Yeah. And that's kind of what the scholar who was saying you can describe it as a queer relationship yeah. was getting at, where it's like, we don't, they could have been two asexual people right. who were just romantically involved, but not interested in sex in any way. Or like, We don't know because we don't have details about it, but it wasn't like at the bare bones you can say is this was not the way a traditional straight person would have behaved at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the most specific we can get about it. (laughs) So Cool. I really like that. I like that story. I had not heard of them before. Yeah. I like their matching top hats. (laughs) They're monograms. (laughs) They're monograms everywhere. I can I can, you know, really look up to that lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's quarantine. Wear a top hat. Monogram your shit. (laughs) I know. (laughs) We've gotten to the point in quarantine where we're just like, that piece of furniture needs to go. We got to get a different one. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm just sick of looking at it. Exactly. I don't want to... Don't want to talk about it. I'm just sick of looking yeah. at it. It has to go. <laughs> well, my final celebrity ghost is none other than Walt Whitman himself. Ooh. American writer and poet Walt Whitman, long considered to be one of the most influential literary voices of the 19th century, lived in Brooklyn, New Jersey, and Long Island throughout the course of his life. He struck up multiple romances with other men, uh, like Irish stagecoach driver Fred Vaughn, who was the subject of some of his poems from, from Whitman's magnum opus, Leaves of Grass. Whitman also suffered devastating personal tragedies, including unrequited love and the loss of two of his brothers. So back in the day, 
trying to hook up with these dudes and they're like no it's the 19th century we don't do that here yeah before his death in, in 1892 he asked that his tomb be left unsealed so that his spirit could be quote-unquote could roam free oh i like that and rome it has uh, multiple sightings of whitman's apparition have been reported in the west hills of long island where whitman was born and spent the first few years of his life of uh, the first few years of his life the hills inspired many of his poems and it is said that whitman's ghost can occasionally be seen wandering the highlands looking through the woods toward fire island which if (laughs) listeners don't know is a very famed gay meetup vacation spot so he's he's looking down on all those modern gays being like why couldn't i do that (laughs) or maybe maybe not even in a longing way he's just like i'm so happy that you get this (laughs) or he's shaking it or he's shaking his fist in the air like god damn it (laughs) you don't know how good you have it kids these days Yeah, Walt Whitman. The only other thing that I found, and this was just by literally Googling gay ghosts, is that I found a a superhero that was named Gay Ghost. Amazing. He first appeared in Sensation Comics in number 1 through 13 and 15 through 33. So he's in quite a few of these comic books. His last appearance was in July of 1989, so was going on for a while. Wow. This guy. So this is where things get weird because he's not actually gay. So <laughs> I don't know. Oh. It's not. He's called Gay Ghost, but. I saw Gay Ghost and I was like, oh, that's nice. It's a gay superhero. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So but... his, his abilities are strange. So here's a story. In 1700s Ireland, Keith Everett, the Earl of Strathmere, is killed by footpads, which I could assume means soldiers. That, that's like muggers. Oh, okay. Uh, like they're, they're, they'll like stab you to take your shit. Got it. As he is on his way to propose to his beloved Deborah Wallace. After his death, uh, he encounter or he encounters his ancestors who return him to life in return for a vow to fight for justice. So basically, we'll make you a ghost, but you got to fight for justice. <laughs> There's one catch. He has to wait for Deborah Wallace to return to Ireland after she emigrated to America before he can return. Everett's spirit haunts his castle until 1941 when the last remaining descendants of Deborah Wallace, who share her name, return to Ireland together with Charles Collins. So a late descendant of his his beauty and her boo show up in Ireland. And and that would be her fiance going on going forward on their unfortunate they they came across the castle at the same time as some Nazi saboteurs, and oh, no. and Collins was killed. So the the bow was killed. <gasps> Nazis ruin everything. I know. <laughs> Seeing his beloved Deborah in danger, Everett takes over Colin's body, deals with the saboteurs, and returns to America with Deborah, taking the portrait with him. Uh, in America, Everett would leave the body of Charles in order to fight crime. So he inhabits the body and then, he just and like then pops goes out. out and fights crime. <laughs> so they call him the gay ghost. Is he just like happy? I, I I guess the only thing that they've they've shown is that uh, the meaning of the word gay changed quite a bit after his golden age appearances. So in reprints, DC has changed his name to Grim Ghost, oh, that's a moniker a very of the character. Word. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is that he basically can pop out of. So just think about this: he goes in and out of a man's body, oh. and he's called Gay Ghost. So. That's what they meant by gay ghosts. They were like, you'll get it. Just think about it. Maybe. I just thought that was interesting. I had never heard of that character before. And it's like a ghost that fights crime, which is totally different. I mean, I'm down for ghosts fighting crime. That sounds amazing. Like, I I don't know if you ever saw it, but like... Around, like, 2007, 2008, there was just, like, a bot online where you would go to a website and you would just hit refresh and it would give you a, like, 
he's at da 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 she's at da 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 Together, they fight crime. Yeah, so like a randomizer. A, yeah, it was it was a randomizer, but specifically for the format of one is a whatever. One is a grizzled detective who swore he would never work with a partner again. One is a <laughs> stay-at-home mom who's ready to fight for justice. They fight crime. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I could see, like, he's a ghost who sometimes pops out of a person's body. Don't worry about it. <laughs> being one of those. The, thing, the thing that I wanted to know, and I, I didn't look this up, but I wanted to know, like, so when he pops out of the body, does the body just, like, lay there? Like, like it would have to. It's like, got to be very confusing, right? very confusing for his fiance. Does the fiance <laughs> know that like this other dude? I don't dude know. Is... Oh, I have quite. If I'm... you've ever read the gay ghost comics, or as they're now known, the grim ghost comics, email spoofer@gmail.com because we have questions. Yes. <laughs> like she would have. Well, maybe she maybe she wouldn't know that the Nazis killed her fiance, and then she's like, "Wow, fiance, you're acting a little weird now, and sometimes your body just crumples, and it seems like you're dead, and then you're fine." What gives? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It says that it says that his biggest enemy was a Nazi mad scientist called Doctor Vozak, the one-armed, torch-handed, flaming hand. So <laughs> flaming hand. I know. Gay so, ghost. Uh huh. I think there are some subtext in here that we're picking up on. <laughs> I feel like there was one person on this writing staff who wasn't out at work and he was like, what if we call him the flaming hand? Yeah. And all the straight people <laughs> in the room were like, yeah, that sounds intimate. The flaming hand is a Nazi. Yeah, totally. And he was just like, <laughs> <laughs> and let's, let's make him go into a dude. And like, yeah. <laughs> cause, cause like, it'll be compelling. Like, is he going to fall in love with her or not? Yeah. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and we'll call him Gay Ghost because he's happy. And they'll be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, Jubilee. It's <laughs> so happy. Huzzah. <laughs> That's so interesting. Huh. Well, it's been another hour of spoop, y'all. We've done it again. We found some gay ghosts. We're happy to hear about them. Please write if you know what the deal is with either Gay Ghost or the Ladies of Langolin. Please. Mm-hmm. Spoopourgmail.com. <laughs> yeah, we need to know your theories as well. Because it's important to me personally. So I'm going to be thinking about it for a while. So thank you, Andrew, for coming on. This was really fun. And we definitely yeah, want to course. have you back when the Sasha is over so you can get like the full spoop experience. Yes, but, I need to meet both. Yes, Sasha's lovely. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for listening. Listen to the ghost inside you, whatever it's telling you to do, if that's be in, you know, any kind of same-sex relationship, or if that's spend a bunch of money on Girl Scout cookies. Listen to your ghost. Your ghost knows best. Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast. If you're a true crime addict like I am, then my show is for you. I'll peel back the curtain and give you a glimpse into the life and crimes of some of the most demented minds. Check out the episode Broken Bonds and listen to a brother reveal a deeply held secret. Or hear about the day that the heavy metal community will never forget in the episode Dimebag. These episodes are just a sample of our catalog, so you have plenty to binge. Just search for True Crime Fan Club Podcast and any podcatcher. You won't want to miss an episode.